welcome to the podcast edition of Coaching Through Chaos, bringing you what you need to succeed. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Colleen Mullen, licensed marriage and family therapist, bringing you your weekly dose of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. We work hard here to bring you guests that will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Some weeks we feature authors and experts in their fields, Other times we bring you heads of organizations doing really great work in their communities or with specific populations of people. And as we did last week, we are now sprinkling the podcast with stories of people who have had to overcome critical hardships in life. Today's guest is part of our monthly feature, offering up a resource for our veteran population. We've decided here at Coaching Through Chaos to expand this monthly feature to provide resources specific to all service-oriented populations. This will range from our military veterans and their families to firefighters, law enforcement, and anyone who puts their life on the line for their job. Now, if you're listening and you know someone who would make a good guest on the show because they're working in one of these organizations, helping those that risk their lives for others, please reach out to me through the coachingthroughchaos.com website and let me know who that is. My guest today is Rick Collins, the founder and executive director of Veterans 360, vets360.org. Rick and his team are working to destigmatize our returning veterans so that they can live life like everyone else who goes through sometimes extremely stressful experiences. We're used to hearing about the rates of post-traumatic stress in our military veterans, but when we look across the board at the number of people in other high-stress work environments, the numbers are not so different. Be prepared, I'm going to give a few sets of numbers, but I'll be quick. In researching this topic, I found numbers that range from 20 to 31% of our veterans from our current wars are being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. In a 2010 study of 332 nurses, 22% had symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, and 18% actually met the full diagnostic criteria for it. And in studies done on firefighters, 7 to 37% are estimated to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. However, We have an upcoming guest that will tell you from his personal experience, he believes the numbers are much higher. More and more, we have teachers who are essentially a new crop of people not thought to have post-traumatic stress disorder from the job, but in this current climate, there would be an expected larger number of teachers presenting for assistance to deal with their symptoms of post-traumatic stress. With numbers like that, which seem to be pretty similar across the board, why do our veterans get such a bad rep about their post-traumatic stress? That's where Rick Collins and the Vets360 organization comes in. Let's welcome Rick and listen in as he tells us all about why Vets360 got started, what they intend to do, and what they are doing to erase the stigma our combat veterans face when they try to reintegrate to the civilian world. I'm here today with Rick Collins, who is the founder and executive director of Vets360.org. Rick, thanks for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Hey, how are you? Can you tell us how did Vets360 come about and what is its mission? Really started early 2011. Uh, Two friends kill themselves. Both were young combat Marines, both uh, under the age of 26, and both had been civilians for less than a year. And it prompted me to look into why. And 
very quickly, it was very clear that they really didn't have to kill themselves. Just their level of frustration and despondency of trying to navigate to civilian life was just too much for them to handle, but also the fact they were taken away from the only environment they've known since high school, which is, you know, the military environment, the structure, the friends, the service, the mission, clear direction in life. It was all gone. And that started me on the education front, and I've been on it now for four years. So educating yourself first, now educating others. Yeah, obviously, if I'm going to talk about it and talk to these young combat veterans, I got to know what I'm talking about. And I think after four years, I've got a pretty good feel for what's going on. The mission really is just try to help these young 0311, 11B types, you know, high school education, short-term service, unhealthy dose of combat who are coming into civilian life and they just really have no idea what the hell is going on. It's pretty sad. We don't put much effort in educating them. We educated them how to kick down doors and blow shit up, but we certainly didn't tell them how to get ready for civilian life. Right, right. I've actually seen a lot of that with the military people that I've been working with through the years as well. Acclimating to civilian life can really be an obstacle to overcome. And then there's a lot of pressure that they don't even expect. Yep. Uh, Like 24-year-old high school kids with just a lot of military service and training and education and combat thrown in. So it's a pretty scary situation. Your mission statement says combat trauma is a natural extension of combat, not a personal failure to cope. And I absolutely agree with that. Can you talk about that statement and what that means? We have the media and everybody else really just talking about PTSD. And every time a veteran does something that's, you know, even remotely off the charts, you know, it's PTSD and, you know, they're crazy and they're, they're angry and they drink too much and don't want them around my kids and don't want to employ them. Anybody who's ever served in combat is going to struggle with this. And if you don't, you're a raging psychopath. (laughs) But combat trauma is no different than trauma that police officers and firemen go through or victims of domestic violence or children who've lost parents. I mean, it impacts everybody in some way, shape or form. Pretty much everybody will deal with some kind of trauma. And to stigmatize veterans as being anything less than normal or committed or valued because they went through a combat experience is just not acceptable. Right. So taking it away as something that is abnormal as a result of combat, that they should expect that they're having some symptoms. They should expect that they're having adjustment issues. They should expect that things are going on. If they don't, there's something seriously wrong with them. Right. And so it sounds like the overarching Mission two is to remove the stigma. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a propensity as a society. We have developed drug after drug to help people deal with depression. And now that's forwarded onto the veterans with conviction. We have clinicians who can turn to page four in the book and say how they're supposed to talk to a veteran who's been through combat trauma. And when it comes down to it, you need to respect where they've been and you need to talk to them like men. You don't need to stigmatize them. You don't need to treat them like they're crazy. And if you do that, you'll find that these are a pretty committed bunch uh, of individuals who are, quite frankly, trained to go through some of the toughest things that anybody can go through. But now the civilians, we treat them like they're not capable of doing anything. And that's, uh, again, it's bad. Yes. And so then how does Vets360, how does your team go about putting your mission into action? What do you do for our veterans? Well, we've got a few initiatives really around the singular mission. One is an open arms type policy to empower them to be more successful civilians. Once again, we have a propensity as society to train them on how to interview and what color tie to wear and how to rewrite a resume. Well, uh, for this generation, depending upon who you believe, it could be 16% plus unemployment rate for high school educated infantry types. I personally, I think it's a lot more. 
So our Veterans Empowerment Training course is really around doing a career assessment so they can start identifying what they're good at, what they can do, what they should do, what they won't like. Personality training, mindfulness training, so that they can be in a civilian environment without scaring the crap out of somebody just because they're being themselves. And also fiscal responsibility. These young folks, they haven't bought cars and a lot of them haven't had houses. And there's a lot of vultures out there willing to rip them off and take their GI Bill benefits and tell them they're $600 off if they're a veteran on a car where people like me would know that they marked it up 2000 in the first place. And they whack in a bunch of extras and add-ons and all of a sudden you've got a young veteran who's got a $600 a month payment. He can't pay for the car. So they need to be educated because we can't be there to protect them every time they deal with some of these folks. You provide like a life skills kind of education for them that takes them between the time of high school to after service and that that how to get back in, how to not get taken advantage of, how to understand how to use your benefits the right way, how to understand what your benefits are and what you should be able to expect. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they went from mom, some were doing their laundry and cooking the meals and having fun in high school and they went to the gunny who's not the nicest guy in the world, does a lot of shouting and a lot of screaming. And now they're out in the civilian world and they don't have a gunny. They don't have a mum. Uh, a lot of them don't have a family to go back to. And they just really need somebody. And you know, not talk down to them, just give them some basic advice and life skills and, and do it in their language. And if we can do that, we can reduce some of the despondency around this transition process to civilian life. That's one of the, the initiatives. And then the other one is our Carry the Challenge initiative, which is very passionate about really just eliminating this PTSD thing. I noticed on the website, it's always PTS. You've removed the D, the disorder. It's not a disorder. You know, I don't care what these clinicians say. It's not a disorder. You, you don't catch it from the toilet seat. It's not passed down from grandfather. It's a reaction to an abnormal event. Again, we have a propensity to stigmatize anybody who's doing something that's not quite, quote unquote, the norm. And when you have a young veteran who is used to being part of a big team and not asking for help and not showing any sign of weakness, and the first thing they hear when they become civilians is that PTSD this and PTSD that and mental health and uh, pharmacological support and the VA takes six months to get to them. And when they do go to the VA, all they want to do is give them drugs. It doesn't take a genius to realize why a lot of these young vets don't even reach out. They don't even put their hands up. Again, it's very common sense. So my attitude is I've given myself two years. I'm going to dedicate two years to kicking PTSD in the butt. We don't need millions of dollars. We don't need 10 years. Hopefully we can get to the point where somebody can wear a T-shirt that says I'm struggling with PTS and get the same kind of love that you know a woman would with a pink T-shirt because they're really no different. They have houses, they have families, they have careers, they have degrees, they have jobs. And until we get to the point where we can educate them that it's just totally normal, they're going to keep killing themselves. I want to just take a a minute to address that as one of these clinicians who works with people with post-traumatic stress, and yes, of course, there's been people post-traumatic stress disorder, I want to make it really clear because I'm here because I know of what you do, and I know that your mission is good. So when you're saying that PTS and it's not a disorder, How do you advise the guys or the gals that are showing post-traumatic stress? You do support mental health treatment for them. Well, life is a series of steps. We as society, when we talk to these veterans, the first thing, the first discussion, the first treatment, the first kumbaya session is invariably if they go to the VA, for example, with psychologist or psychiatrist. The first reaction is often his prescription. Here's a group meeting. That's not the good first step. 
You've got to talk to them in their language. And you can only do that with people who've been where they've been, seeing what they've done, who understand where they've been. Is there a world for the clinical approach to this? Absolutely. But not step one. And probably not until we get to step four or five when they've come to terms with the fact that what they're struggling with is normal. And there is a lot of alternative approaches to it outside of medication. Oh, yeah. And I'm outside of medication as well. I'm I'm looking at the emotional (laughs) treatment. So when you see a guy who's struggling, you're giving him all the life skills. You're giving him all the education that they need to reacclimate. And they're still dealing with anxiety attacks. They're still dealing with flashbacks and things like that that are symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Do you support the emotional treatment? Well, yeah, the emotional treatment, but you know, it's a very clinical term, the emotional treatment. I, you know, I kind of simplify it. I've seen the most effective forms of treatment. Again, there's that word. It's uh, coping skills. And it can be anything. It can be uh, going to a surf clinic. can be hiking. Oh, yeah. And that is what yeah. a lot of it is. It's like tapping into what's going to make them feel alive again. What's going to make them feel like a good whole person again? What's going to make them feel like part of society and that they are equally on the same plane as everybody? They're not standing in any way because of what they've gone through. I'm saying this to, so that everybody that's listening gets that this is all in great support. When you say kick PTSD's butt, you want to get rid of the stigma. The stigma. You're not saying that post-traumatic stress does not exist. You're acknowledging absolutely it yeah. exists. You're acknowledging that these combat veterans need support. And that's what you're providing for them is support and language that they understand and education that that is tailored to their needs. You know, if you think about PCS, you think about depression, you think about common mental health ailments. I bet if you could pull and, and do some numbers and you said, how many people have killed themselves, struggled with drugs and alcohol and anger who have a support structure, who have a job, who have money in the bank? The vast majority of these young vets, when they get out, they struggle to find a job. They've lost their support structure. They don't have a network. They don't have money in the bank. They're couch surfing. They're playing Call of Duty for 10 hours a day. They've sent out resumes and not had phone calls. So PTS is not the issue. It's the whole transition process and the despondency that they feel. And then PTS will kick your ass because it's a natural thing that's going to come to the top when you're struggling and when you're drinking. So it's a bigger picture than just saying, okay, that person struggles with PTS. Much bigger picture. Um, If you're going to look at a young veteran and and it's a lot easier to say to them, hey, have you got a job? Yes. Are you looking for a job? Yes. Are you in school? Are you graduating? Yes. Are you struggling with your PTS? Kind of. Okay. What are you doing for health and wellness? Who's your network? Who's your support? You want to go for a cup of coffee? want to go for a beer, you want to go to a movie, you want to come to dinner. A lot of times that treatment is just talking about what they're struggling with. Yes, just reaching out and letting them be human again, like everybody else that has stress and post-trauma stress. You have a vet sponsor program. Can you tell me about that? How does somebody sponsor a veteran? I saw this on the website. Can they sponsor just one? And if an organization is interested in helping How can they be helpful in sponsoring a veteran? There's a lot of really great organizations around the country who are doing very good things to help veterans deal with some common sense issues. There's also approximately 45,000 veteran nonprofits. So a lot of these young guys and girls are just drowning in what Dave Sutherland used to call the sea of goodwill. So when I talk about sponsoring a vet, I'm talking about what can you do to help get them educated, help get their life skills. So like a VET course, our Veterans Empowerment Training course, 
we put together four of the best online courses, best of breed around common issues. And so we get sponsors and we get a butt that we can put in the seat for a workshop and then they take that course. Then we've, we've helped them and then we have measurable success. If people want to sponsor an individual uh, veteran, we don't really have that kind of program because every veteran's different. Okay, so it was sponsoring the course. They can donate to sponsor to keep the course going. Is that right? For every course, every seat that we can put a young veteran, whether they're struggling with PTS or not, this is a key component uh, because they will all struggle. Uh, the fact that PTS will impact maybe 35% of today's veterans is a big component. My attitude is I hate redundancy. We have a lot of good things going on out there, and our VET course is really around things that they're not getting educated on. And an average of 200 to $250 per veteran that we can help is a pretty good return on investment when at the end of the day, they've taken these online courses, these e-courses, they've come to a workshop, and we've worked with them to develop a professional profile. I don't care if you rewrite a resume. If you're a fire team leader and you put it on velvet with gold lettering, it's pretty much going to say the same thing as the next guy. But once they've been through our course and they've done some likability and mindfulness training, they've done a career assessment tool, they've done a Gallup Strengths Finder so that we know what the strengths are. And when we then put them in front of an employer, we know that we've got a good match. Now, if they're not a good match for that particular employer and they need some educational courses, we have a great community college system. They can go to community college and they can do one semester of courses or they can do a couple of semesters. Too many today are just pissing away their GI Bill over these for-profit schools, primarily because they get $2,000 a month. Well, two years' time, they've got a degree that's worthless and the $2,000 a month has disappeared. So when is PTS going to kick in? Right. They get out, they get into these schools, and it feels like things are sailing along because they can pay their rent, they are getting educated, they believe Mm. in something that they think is going to turn into a viable degree. And when they realize, oh, I have this degree, and I'm still not getting a job, and now the $2,000 a month is gone. So you're right, there's even this delayed reaction. I think a lot of people who are not working in the field don't understand that there's even like time lapse that happens, depending on what they do when they get out. It's very much a cure option. Again, we're trying to prevent despondency. Not put a Band-Aid on it. When you see these young guys, you know, they've got a, a X.edu degree, and they don't understand why they, they can't get a job with it. And again, I'm not talking about your pilots or your logistics or your avionics techs. You know, I'm really focused on these young men and women who barely graduate high school. They come from diverse backgrounds. They maybe come from broken homes. And they go out and somebody sells them a bill of goods that says, hey, you don't have to go to class. You don't have to go to campus. You can get a degree. And oh, by the way, we'll give you a couple of thousand dollars a month. And then two years later, that all goes away, assuming they graduate, which a lot of them don't. And now all of a sudden, you just put them in a hole and they're two years away from separation from service. So if I sat down and I was going to map out how best to put someone in a position to kill themselves or to take drugs or alcohol or be angry or isolated or not get off the couch, as society, uh, we deliver. (laughs) I mean, we deliver every facet of what they need to get to that level of despondency. And if we don't change it at the beginning, we've got about three months, conservatively three months. The day they get out, we've got maybe three months before the proverbial poop hits the fan. They've run out of money. They've run out of direction. They've lost touch with their buddies. They haven't got a job. They haven't got their benefits sorted out. They can't afford to pay the car anymore that they were ripped off on. 
So when these for-profit schools hit them, it's a lifeline for them, and it shouldn't be. It should be an educated decision based upon something like a career assessment or a strength finder that says, I am going to school to learn this because this is the next step in my life to get a career, not because somebody's giving me two grand a month. Yes, absolutely. And I was going to ask you a question. I think you've answered it about what is the most important benefit that Vets360 provides for the veterans. And it sounds like just this really specific course that you give them and what they can take away. And the the delivery of it. The delivery. Um, Tell me about that. We talk to them their language. I had a congressman say to me, well, what would you do if you were me? And I said, you give them to me for the last month of their career and we'll eliminate this kind of suicide and this sort of despondency. We'll kick out all the officers. We'll kick out the sergeants. We'll close the doors and you don't get to tell us what the message is. And we'll kick out the pilots. We'll kick out the people with the degrees. We'll pull in all our 0311s, our 11Bs, and we'll sit down and we will chat and we will educate them in their language about the challenges they face. We didn't tell them combat was easy, but, you know, we seem to vacillate telling them civilian life's going to be easy or civilian life's going to be hard. It's different for every person, but at the bottom of the heap are our infantry types, or our mechanics or our truck drivers. You know, you get a truck driver who can drive a truck in Afghanistan and the toughest roads in the world. He can't walk out and go get a job as a truck driver over here without taking another course and, and trying to get a license. But all our veterans are in the military system. And the first thing they have to do is go register with the VA. Why can't we take the information that's in the computerized system in the military and automatically populate a record in the VA? These are just common sense things. You know, I'm not a genius, but these are things that just don't get done. And every little component that makes it harder for them to get a job and succeed and have a place to live It's like somebody sat around like a voicemail system. How can we make this as hard as we possibly can to get these guys moving forward? You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you what you need to succeed. mentioned so much great help that you provide these guys. What is Carry the Challenge and what can someone do to support that? Well, a big component of eliminating the stigma with PCS is civilianizing it. We have our veterans and we have the media who will tell us that it's, it's a veteran-owned issue. Veterans don't own it. Don't tell me that the policeman who's on the streets 24-7 is not dealing with trauma. A uh, fireman who's first on the scene with some dead kids in the back, trauma. Uh, ER nurse, a victim of domestic violence. So a big part of what we have to do is civilianize it. And the best way to do that is to have all these different groups interact with each other. And I don't say this in a mean way, but I've seen it happen. I've explained to a young veteran who's struggling with post-traumatic stress, you know, from a firefight and another one who killed some dogs. And then I kind of turn it around and put it on them and say, well, yeah, have you thought about a lady who's been beaten by her husband? You thought about a fireman who's, you know, carries a young child who's dead out of a burning house. It's kind of like you have to put it into perspective for them that they're not unique. They don't own this process. So carry the challenge is an idea that a young lady gave me, actually, because I always carry challenge coins around. And it's really going to be a process where not only are we trying to civilianize it, but let's have a bit of fun with it. If you're going to try to eliminate a stigma and it's all doom and gloom, 
Like everywhere you turn now, 22 this, 22 suicides a day. I'm so sick of hearing about it because below those 22, which is probably a lot more than 22, are tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands who are struggling with different levels. So the Carry the Challenge is a process around coins. We're going to take coins out. We're going to take them out in the community. If you're struggling with PTS, you can carry a coin. Corporations can buy a bunch of coins and introduce education in the corporate environment around PTS, but they can also use the coins to have a bit of fun within their community. So they can use it as a community tool where they can slap a coin down in the canteen or if they go out to the pub after work, slap a coin down, and if somebody doesn't have a coin, they buy. And if you do slap a coin down and they do have a coin, then you're buying it's a very military-centric process that I think civilians would love, you know, the carry the challenge coin. But really, if you think about it, it's carrying a challenge to everybody to say that this is a society issue. This is not a military issue. I love it that people can just own it. You have it, you carry one, yes. Yeah, carry a coin. And you know what? Next time you meet with somebody and you start and talk about PTS, you give them the coin. Right. And it's just another way of also opening up that discussion about it. Yeah. Normalizing it, neutralizing it. Yeah, I saw a veteran recently um, who had a T-shirt on that said, I struggle with PTSD, give me meds. And I wanted to rip his head off because that's exactly what we don't want. Right. And on my end, I know a lot of people either through my practice, through my personal life who are out of the military, young guys. And what I hear them is they're running from the VA because they know and they're paying out of pocket. They're they're doing what they can to earn it, but they're paying out of pocket because they want treatment that is not just giving them medication and sending them on their way. They want someone that's actually going to hear what their complaint is, not make assumptions about what it must be. So I hear you and I'm right there with you on this normalizing it and trying to see how the system, our society, how everything can just kind of work together to kind of say, why are they so marginalized? So with that, then I'm so curious, your email said, ask me about breaking silence. So here's something separate of the website of vets360.org. There's breaking silence. Can you tell me what that's referring to? Yeah, that's a, that's another initiative. Again, it's all around the same mission. So, you know, I don't, I don't want people to think we just go off on these weird and wonderful tangents. <laughs> They're all tied together. They're all tied together. They're all part of it. So one of the things that I was up at an event in LA, we routinely take veterans up there just to get out of town for a day type event. And we came up with this idea that we need to do a documentary series around the PTS issue. And some old professor I met said, if you can come up with a descriptor that's one word or less, then you're doing good. So I came up with two words and breaking silence. And it's a common term, breaking the silence. But my attitude is we're breaking the silence around PTS because anybody struggling with it is struggling in silence. They're not putting their hands up. They're not rushing out. They're not walking down the street saying, I'm struggling with this. So the breaking silence process We've already filmed the first episode. We want to film 10. We want to get funding to film more if we can. The first episode we did was Marines of Ramadi in 04. We had four combat Marines and a Navy corpsman who were all in Ramadi. They're all in the same unit. We sat down and we just shot the ship. We just talked about transition, post-traumatic stress, when it hit them, when it impacted them, how it's been finding a job, how the families are, how the education was, everything. And um, we filmed for about three hours and 10 minutes. We'll get it down to a 30-minute episode. These young men came across as just being amazingly articulate, funny, committed, passionate. The next episode we want to do is the Ladies of Domestic Violence. Same process. 
We want to do fire. We want to do police. We want to do children. I love it, just breaking the silence all across the board. Across the board. Yeah. Well, I think you'd have a tremendous amount of people to access, to spread the word about their story and break their silence. I just think you could do so much good work with that. So I'm hoping that through the outlets that you have to get your voice out about it, that you do get the funding that you need to make this happen. The key is, is it, it can't be doom and gloom. These guys could tell people's stories or make their heads fit. We didn't. We had fun. We had fun and we were sad at times, you know, over people you know, they had lost and careers and challenges and everything. It's very educational. And I'm sure it'll be educational from whoever we interview from their own perspectives, whoever they are and, and whatever their world they come from. I'm super excited about this. This is, this is really fun. I'll be excited to see that first episode. We're hoping to do a premiere around Veterans Day. Uh, so November 11th, we've already got a location in LA and we've got a location down here. And um, we'll make these guys mini celebrities. So it'll be pretty fun. Great. Give them a different face. Yeah. And so now if someone's listening and wants to get involved on the civilian side of things, how can they get involved with Vets360? Are you looking for financial support? Are you looking for volunteers? I also want to know what can the active duty guys and gals do? Well, I'm curious, how do you even reach them? Do you get them before they come out? That's a twofold question. What do the civilians do? And how do you actually reach the veterans before they fall into the same old patterns that we're used to? Well, on the first, first part of your question, yeah, we'll always need money. There's a couple of 800-pound gorillas out there who take all the money, and, and there's a huge debate on whether they use it very effectively or not, but that's a subject for another day. So anybody who can donate anything is always appreciated, and it's put to good use. We do not waste our money. Mm-hmm. As to the outreach, the government's not very welcoming in allowing us to have access to active duty folks. They still want them on the job and focused on the mission at hand. So we do everything we can. We attend events, and we are hopefully going to be doing one of our VET workshops on base. We've done warrior wife conferences. The key thing, like I said earlier, is we have a very limited window. And once they're out, I call them my ground squirrels. They go underground. It's like the whack-a-mole. They don't come up until things have got really bad. And by then, we're in cure mode. So we have to find a way to get just even a hook into them before they leave the military. And if I can go on base, if I get you know appropriation funds and some big funding, and I can go on military bases and train people like me around the country to just go on there and give them these life skills training without you know a government oversight, I think we'll prevent them being uh, isolated when they get out. So it's a challenge. Certainly, but you seem to be very much up for the challenge. Yeah, well, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> So, Rick Collins, is there anything else that you'd like everybody to know about Vets360, Carry the Challenge, Breaking Silence? Yeah, obviously, we want whatever support we can get. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But I think if you're not going to support somebody like us, get educated. Just go out and find out what's going on with this PTS. Don't take the media's word for it. Next time somebody says, oh, this crazy veteran did this, stand up and say, well, hold on a second here. That's not what's going on here. You wouldn't be reluctant to have a fireman over for dinner. Why be reluctant to have a veteran? Society embraces first responders. Why not a veteran? The way that's going to change is by having civilians who are not impacted by combat trauma or maybe any kind of trauma at all, stick up for them, you know? Go get educated about post-traumatic stress, combat trauma, stress after anything. And don't let people tell you that they're crazy. Don't let people tell you that they're angry. Don't let people tell you that they shouldn't be around your kids or that you shouldn't hire them. Don't follow the norm. 
these uh, amazing young men and women who have been trained to do some of the, the craziest stuff going. And just because we haven't taken the time or trouble to train them to be successful in civilian life, it doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean they wouldn't be good at whatever they put their minds to. It doesn't mean because they're an infantryman, they need to be a security guard. We just got to be honest with them, talk to them like men and women who've sacrificed a lot and stick up for them. And not just when 9-11 hits. 13 years later, donation support is down. Now's the time they need us because they're getting out and we're drawing down. We don't have any wars to fight anymore. So it's turn your shields and spears in and go back home. We'll give you a shout when we need you. And that's a huge problem because they're leaving their services in tens of thousands every month. And there isn't jobs for them. And there isn't support for them. And there isn't education for them. There isn't a home to go to. And uh, it's only going to get worse. And unless we want to spend the next 40 years like we did with our Vietnam vets, we better get our heads out of our you-know-what, and we better start helping them today. Yes, indeed. So people can educate themselves. They need to check out Vets 360, carry the challenge, breaking silence. And I want to say very special thanks to founder and executive director of Vets360, Rick Collins. Thank you so much, Rick, for giving us the time to talk about what you do. My pleasure. No, I appreciate the time. Thank you, Rick Collins of Vets360. They're doing more and more new things each day to help destroy the stigma of post-traumatic stress. Be sure to check back to their website from time to time to see what they may be offering up in your communities as they grow. As we wrap up this episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, I'm excited to share with you some other places where you can join me. This week, I'm the guest on the Courageous Self-Confidence podcast. I'm talking about my life journey and how I made the decision to become a therapist and the obstacles I had to overcome to pursue my career. I also just became a contributor on everydaypowerblog.com. Right now, you can find my thoughts on success habits you should start doing immediately and my tongue-in-cheek article, Eight Surefire Ways to Destroy Any Relationship. That one was a lot of fun to write. Next week, we've got the authors of the number one new psychology release on Amazon, Irrelationship, How We Use Dysfunctional Relationships to Hide from Intimacy. They were a lot of fun to interview and are providing a whole new spin on how to get closer to your partner and break relationship habits that leave you feeling lonely. As always, I want to thank Dr. B for all my audio engineering and tremendous support behind the scenes and BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. Now there's a few ways to connect with me between episodes. You can find me on Twitter with the name at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. But the best way to follow along here is to sign up for the mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcast. I'll send you a copy of my ebook for free. It's five ways, 100 tips for living a happier, healthier life. I do hope you enjoy that. And then you'll also get email updates on our current episodes, guest appearances on other podcasts and blog post updates. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to the show? And that way you get notified each week when a new episode launches so you won't miss a thing. All right, until next time, I hope you have a stellar week. And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care. <laughs>